The book of Luke chapter 9, if you would please. The book of Luke chapter 9. Now, Jesus has fed the 5,000 in this chapter. And um, it's very, very interesting how this works out. I, I feel like my heart has been in this vein for quite some time. But it's, it's interesting. And the paradox, so to speak, that we find in this uh, in this chapter, or as Bishop said it the other night, the dichotomy is that uh, some people are following Jesus for the wrong reasons. And so after he feeds the 5,000, then he kind of he lays it down where the rubber meets the road in verse 23 of Luke 9. And he said to them that if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross Somebody say that word with me. Daily. Daily. This is not just a Sunday, Wednesday thing. If you come after me, take up your cross. Somebody shout every day. Every day. Every day. And follow me. Follow me. For whosoever... Now this is so backwards. Whosoever will save his life, shall lose it. But whosoever will lose his life, for my sake, the same shall save it. What is a man advantaged, or what has he gained if he gain the whole world and lose himself? He loses his soul, or to be cast away. For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and of my words of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. But I tell you of a truth, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the kingdom of God. I want to preach to you today about the making of a disciple. The making of a disciple. And you may be seated in Jesus name the making of a disciple I don't want to ever get to the place uh, as a communicator and as a pastor that I sound like a broken record but I'm gonna be completely honest with you today and tell you that it would be just fine with me if from now until the coming of the Lord we preached nothing but repentance and self-denial. Because quite frankly, that's the only thing that's going to save us. And it's a very interesting thought process when you compare what a disciple looked like that followed Jesus and what a 21st century so-called disciple looks like. Modern-day discipleship is filled with many empty promises and men speak on behalf of the Creator and have no authority to do so. There is a misconception, misnomer, that if you live for God, that your life is going to be a bed of roses and that all your trouble goes away and that because you have experienced true teshuva and repentance and you have turned your heart toward God, that every trouble you have had in your life, 
that it just disappears and you're hunky-dory. Well, I want to tell you something today. While there is an eternal work, and we heard such a powerful word in Bible class today. If you have been missing Bible class, you are absolutely missing uh, some powerful word. There is something amazing that happens in the soul of a man that his sin is erased. But let's understand that in this life that we're living right now, if I go out into uh, this world today and I choose to uh, fill my temple with alcohol until I'm drunk, get behind the wheel of a car, hit somebody and kill them on the road, I'll have a price to pay. Now God can forgive me for that sin. I can be forgiven for uh, destroying my temple. I can be uh, uh, forgiven for the act of murder that was accomplished because of my uh, being incapacitated. God can forgive me of all that. But when I stand before the judge in a courtroom and I say, well, I repented. It doesn't carry much weight in the kingdom of this world. I can look at that judge and say, well, you ought to let me walk because I'm forgiven. God has forgiven me. God has forgiven me. There's still a penalty to be paid. And it's a very difficult line that we have to draw in life to understand that just because we give our hearts to God does not mean He makes our problems disappear in this world. I wish it was that simple. I really do wish that because we live for God that our troubles would go away. But the truth of the matter is that In this life, you're going to have trouble. As a matter of fact, one writer said it like this, that life is short and it's full of trouble. That life is short, it's a little while, and it's full of trial. And so my feeling about it today is that before you came to the Lord, your life was full of trouble. And after you come to the Lord, your life will be full of trouble. But the difference is the trouble you had before, you were the one that was piloting the ship. And today, when you let God be in control and you let Him lead the way, then it really doesn't matter the outcome because you have put your trust in a firm foundation upon which you can stand. I, I sincerely wrestle in, in my flesh, in my mind, the way that I'm wired, the way that I work, the way that my brain works. Sometimes it's a blessing and sometimes it's a curse. The greatest blessing I can find is that when it's working, I at least know that I still have one. The, the issue is that oftentimes when it works, it doesn't work at like 9 o'clock at night. It works at 3 o'clock in the morning. And this week, I was, uh, I was doing a little bit of traveling this week. Had some time to think. Did quite a bit of sitting. And I just began to think about what a disciple looks like. And I started comparing Uh, What a biblical disciple looked like in comparison to what the modern religious world says that a disciple is. So I want to deal with a couple of things today if I can. And please understand the context in which I deliver this to you is out of the pureness of heart. But I, I, I think before we jump in fully into what a disciple is, I think there's a few things we need to talk about that a disciple is not. Can we do that? You are not a disciple because you say you are. At Antioch, they were called Christians for the first time, and it was not because they had confessed the Lord. It was not because they said they believed that Jesus was. They were Christians. They were called Christians because their lives were lived in such a way that it was obvious the paramount primary 
premier, preeminent focus of their life was pleasing the Father. They wanted to please the Lord. And they lived after the teachings of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And everywhere they went, they lived in such a way that people did not have to ask them, Are you a Christian? Oh my. You are not a Christian because you say you are. You are a Christian when people don't have to ask whether or not you are. You have crossed the line in your life when God has made such a difference in your life that when people look at how you talk and how you dress and how you act and how you treat people and how you love and how you discern and how you act around your old friends, your old family, the life that you used to live. And there is an evident difference. I don't know what happened to him. But there was a time that he could drink all of us under the table. There was a time that he could smoke all of us out of the room. But understand, something got a hold of that man. Something got a hold of that woman. Something has transpired. Listen to what I'm telling you today. You don't have to tell the world you're a Christian when you've really been converted. They see your response. Are you ready for the whole room to tighten up and all the oxygen leave the room? Are you ready? They see your response when someone pulls out in front of you. (laughs) They're riding in the car with you. And someone pulls out in front of you and the old man was laying on the horn... Hanging the old single finger wave out the window. Have you ever wondered what that fixes? I'm just curious. If our little temper tantrum makes those people back up and turn to the road they came from and wait their turn. Is there anything you can do to stop what's already happened now that you're ticked off and you're mad and you've shown your derriere? And you've ruined your witness with the people that thought you were changed and you were different, but the words that are coming out of your mouth don't sound like he's made a difference in you. Woo! God bless you. You're dismissed. Enjoy your lunch. We'll be back tonight. Somebody's feeling the need for repentance right now. Isn't it amazing? How before you could act however you wanted and not feel a check in your spirit at all. But once you've crossed that line and you start living for God, you go to say something you used to say, there's that check that comes on you. Like, Whoa, what is wrong with me? Why do I feel this way right now? Why can't I drink what I used to drink and still feel all right with it? What did I do that made me feel so different right now? I'll tell you what you did. You invited holiness in your life and his glory he will not share with another. And when the goodness of God starts moving in, everything else has to move out. That's why when he started teaching his disciples how to pray, he said immediately when you come out of the gate, give honor to your father in heaven and then be sure it's his kingdom that's coming. And when his kingdom comes, your kingdom goes. Can I tell you today, it is 100% impossible for his kingdom to come and my kingdom to stay. Woo! 
So, there is something so powerful about true transformation and true conversion. And I will say to you today that I believe if there has been a lack of something in, in Christendom as a whole in our movement uh, in the 21st century, it has been a true lack of conversion. That was quiet. True conversion does not happen because you say it did. Everybody still with me today? Anybody that needed to take a little nap before I got to preaching because this is going to be deep and boring to you a little bit? Conversion is a process by which others can tell that about me before I have to mention it to them. And it seems to me that our focus truly have become on the outward manifestations of what we do for salvation. Of course, we believe that there's really only one way to be saved. It's, there's not a plethora of ideas. Scripturally, Jesus said to Nicodemus, that except you're born again of water and spirit. So spirit being the infilling of the Holy Ghost and baptism being born again of water. We believe that. Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. We believe that baptism is essential. We believe that firmly. In Acts 2.37, men and brethren, what shall we do? 2 and 38. Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For this promise is unto you. Everybody say, that's me. To your children, to all who are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Listen, I want to tell you something today. The Holy Ghost is for you. It's to all that are afar off, as many as the Lord our God shall call. But, but, I, but I, I struggle, again, the way my brain works, I struggle because we put so much emphasis on the outward sign, the things that people see. And when somebody gets baptized and we see them get baptized, we say automatically, oh, good, they've been converted. Now, I'm going to mess with you right here, okay? Now, don't run off misquote me. And saying that I'm, I'm teaching false doctrine. But I want to tell you something. I believe this very firmly. I believe this, is, I believe this very strongly. Okay? I believe that conversion and the new birth plan, new birth process, could easily be separated as two completely different processes. When someone's been baptized in Jesus' name filled with the Holy Ghost, we say they've been converted. I believe that conversion actually happens at repentance. My conversion process does not happen at salvation. Because there are a lot of people that walk through the steps of so-called salvation that have had no turning. Woo. You, you, you may have to escort me out of here, Brother Danny. I might need security today. You got me? Come on with it. Understand me when I tell you this today. That my conversion is not based on my baptism. Because if I'm baptized before I'm converted. Then all I did was just go down a wet center. A, a dry center and come up a wet center. 
This may not be popular, but I feel so much Holy Ghost while I'm preaching this right now. I feel I just feel chills running up and down my spine because somebody's going to get a revelation in here today that the reason why you've been struggling is because you've got to get converted. And conversion is not just an outward manifestation. It's something that God does on the inside of a man and a woman. And they don't think the way they used to think. And they don't act the way they used to act. And they don't live the way they used to live. And it all manifests because of the circumcision of the heart. So my conversion, my conversion, and, and, and there will probably be times in my life that I continue to use that as slang. We've done that a lot. Well, when were you converted? That, that's saying, when were you saved? But I want to tell you, this is such a tight line. I have to be very careful that I say this the right way so that no one can misconstrue. But I want to tell you that just doing the actions of the new birth plan alone do not save you. And that's the danger of just telling people, you got to get baptized or you're you're, going to be lost. you got to get baptized. Why am I getting baptized? Why would God want to wash away my sin, remit my sin completely, if when I come up out of that water, I'm walking right back to the same thing? Man. Sweet. Now, here's what you got to know. You got to know that if you have... Uh, uh, maybe this is going to sound cynical I hope it doesn't but anymore we got this idea of digging mass graves mass baptisms you get baptized by the hundreds on a weekend where are they next weekend you've heard me preach about it literally churches setting up swimming pools on their stages not their platform on their stages Setting up swimming pools and putting water slides in them so people can get, go down the water slide into the water and then they come up and they're, wow. I watched this, uh, I watched this pastor some time ago. It, it like went viral online. I don't know if anyone has seen it or not. That the guy is a fan of MMA, mixed martial arts. He's a fan of, of fighting. And that's how I was baptizing people. Anybody, anybody else seen it? It's insane. The dude's picking them up and like giving them the old... That's the suplex. Is that what that's called? Throat slam. He's giving them the old throat slam. Pick them up in the baptistry and I now baptize you. And they come up like. If he did that to me, I'd come up tapping. I'd be, I'd be. I'm tapping. No, thank you. You, you understand what I'm saying? You can't dig a mass grave and be sure that everybody in it's dead. Something has to transpire in our lives that lead us to understand that just because there were 12 disciples called, it did not mean that the other 11 could carry the weight of one. 
It was an individual call that all 12 of you are going to have to follow me for yourself. And that became evident with the life and the death of Judas. Judas had the same teaching that the other 11 had, but Judas had an issue in his heart. He was not willing to deny himself and take up his cross and follow after Jesus. Oh, my, my. Can I preach a little bit this morning? The making of a disciple, how, how does this happen? How does it transpire? Does it happen on the Sunday that you go to church and you're excited and you post it on Facebook? Today, I went back to church. I'm so glad that you posted it. And I'm so glad that you went. But understand me today. Th- th- this is an old Keith Green. I don't know how many of you ever heard Keith Green. When I was a, when I was a boy, Keith Green was a, he was like a, he, he predated all the old worship leaders. You know, Keith Green was he had some good music. I had a live Keith Green worship tape. Do any of you kids know what that is? It's this weird little rectangle deal with two holes in it, and it's got this. And Keith Green made this statement. I never forgot. I used to listen to it all the time when I was going to bed. The tape was blue. It was the coolest thing from Sparrow Records. And on his live concert, he, said, he made this statement. He said, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. That's profound. That's prolific. And it's probably a good thing because I'd be a walking hamburger and taco if that. It doesn't make you you a Christian. And when you ask people, like, I want you to seriously think about how we think. How long have you been serving God? I started going to church in 1976. Am I making any sense? So when were you saved? Well, I started going to church in 1984. So when were you saved then? Because what I'm about to say is going to sound like an old judgmental Pentecostal preacher, I realize. But listen, there's going to be a lot of folks surprised on Judgment Day because they set their hide on a pew for years and years and years and years. And God never did get a hold of them. Can I take it a little step further? There's going to be people that have dressed the part, talked the part, acted like they could pray the part when they got up in the altar and got around people. But you get with them on Monday, you realize they may have been baptized in Jesus' name and spoke with other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. But they're not full of the Holy Ghost. They never were converted. Would this be better if I was preaching about miracles today? Because if you want to know the truth, I'm preaching about the greatest miracle that can ever happen in your life. It's when you are willing to let Jesus take full control of your life. I'm talking about 100% withholding nothing from you. I want you leading and ruling my life. God, I'm ready to throw all caution to the wind. And I'm ready to follow after you. I don't care what my family says. I don't care what my boss says. I don't care. I want to live for Jesus. So. I wanted to go back to somewhat the beginning of this understanding, the beginning of this. How did it look like? What, what, what did it look like when Jesus, when Jesus begins calling disciples? Let's go to the book of Matthew chapter 4. 
Everybody doing okay? I'll get you out of here in a few minutes. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. Matthew 4 and 18. If you've got your Bibles, just kind of stroll through this with me right here. If you don't, look up on the screen. Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren. Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother. were casting their nets into the sea because they were fishers. He said to them, I've been looking for some guys to teach me how to fish. Would you show me how you do that? What did he actually say? Follow me. Here's the number one common mistake that's made in today's Christian society of what a disciple looks like. That you can live for God and keep all of your own personal ambition and Him follow you. Am I helping anybody right now? Yes, I gave my life to the Lord. I want you to think about the context of what you're saying. I gave my life to the Lord. So what's changed? Nothing. Then you didn't give it to Him. You're withholding parts of that. You're still withholding something from God. You're not giving that to God. When you give your life to the Lord, you know what that really means? You got nothing left that He don't own. Follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. Here's the making of a disciple. And they straightway, somebody say right now. They right now. I I think I need to clean my glasses. Can somebody help me? Say, Say that again. They what? They left their nets. Well, what am I going to do tomorrow? I mean, if I leave my nets, I'm in trouble. What, what am I going to do? I mean, I know this job makes me miss more church than I've ever missed, but I'm also paying more tithe than I've ever paid. So glory to God. You know that got Saul in trouble? When Saul kept what he wanted and then said, told the prophet Samuel, he said, but I was going to offer it to the Lord. Listen to what I'm telling you today. This is not just pastor. This is, this is the words of Jesus. This is the Jesus of the scripture, not the Jesus of TV evangelists. I was with a pastor friend of mine this week, and he says, we, 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 we were talking about a certain situation. I don't want to go into real deep, but he said, isn't it something that they can preach the same Jesus that we preach and something be that far off base? And, and I, I stopped him right there and I said, has it ever dawned on you? Yes, I'm just sitting here thinking. Has it ever dawned on you that it might not be the same Jesus? Because this Jesus isn't the second part of a Godhead. This Jesus is the one that in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. I want to tell you that I'm not preaching to you today about a Jesus that takes second place in anything. But Matthew 28 and 18, he said, all power in heaven and in earth is given to me. 
this Jesus. He's a Jesus that's all in all. All things were created by him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shined into darkness and the darkness comprehended it not. I'm telling you today that God robed himself in flesh and dwelled among us. Emmanuel, God with us. The same Jesus that same Jesus is the one that fills our spirits. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And if any man hath not the spirit of Christ, they are none of his. Somebody shout, one Lord. one Lord. Ephesians 4, 5, 6, one Lord. One faith. I wish somebody just quoted to me right now. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all. He is through all and he is in you all. There is no God like our God. And they immediately, straightway, they left their nets. Oh, God. Y'all doing okay? I'm almost there. Going on from thence, he saw other two brethren, James, son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Now, this one gets a little bit deeper, folks. I'm telling you, this is, this is wild right here. You, you'll read right past it if you're not looking. In a ship with Zebedee, their father, doing the same thing, that, right? Mending their nets. And he called them. What did he say? Follow me. Same thing that he told me. Follow me. What happened? Watch this. They left the ship. And their father. We went from forsaking nets to forsaking boats and walking away from the father. Y'all think maybe they folded up the nets that they had in their boat that Zebedee had, and Zebedee told them, said, just fold this up and hide it under your tunic. Just in case. Or do you believe that the nets that they were mending? Stayed with the boat and stayed with Zebedee. I know this is about as deep as a mud puddle right now. But I need somebody to hear what I'm telling you. The call of Jesus to follow him is one that looks like this picture right here. Everything that you've known till this point, forsake it. And follow me. Does this sound at all like modern Christianity that teaches all the time? All he wants you to do is just be happy. I want you folks to realize, please, I don't think we will ever comprehend or understand the gravity and the weight that rested on those two words, follow Not until you realize who it is that's asking you to follow. 
This is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And he wants me? I'm going somewhere with this right here. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and he wants me? I'm a, I'm a fisherman. I'm just a welder. I, 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 I just work in retail. I, just a truck driver, brother. Hey, that's, I'm just, he wants me? Listen, when you realize who he is and who it is that's asking you, you don't start going back and forth with him and saying, but how, what about my boat? What, what, what about my father? What about Zebedee? What, what we're going to do about old Zeb here? Because I need, I need Zeb. To, I, I need him to go. No, no. When you realize who it is that's asking you, you immediately turn your back on the cost. And you start pursuing after him. Because only the one that counts the cost. Listen. The one that counts the cost just put more value on the boat than they did the creator that's inviting them to walk with him. The value that you find in your life will be found in the answer you give when he says, follow me. Woo! I know this is a horrible thing to talk about in church. But I was speaking with a man the other day about gambling dysfunctions. And what it is that happens in the mind of somebody when they sit at the table and they feel like they've got the right cards in their hand and they just take all their chips and they slide them across that poker table and they say, I'm all in. I'm all in. You know what the deal is? They've got confidence in their hand. They have confidence in their hand. But do you know why I can sit here today with Jesus and say, I'm all in? Because it don't matter what I got in my hand. I'm confident in his hand. And I am so confident today in his hand. I can't believe that God would think enough of me to robe himself in flesh and to invite me to walk with him. It's not about what I have to lay down. It's a, I can't believe that he would let me walk with him. Come on, we got to get it out of our mind about what it's going to cost us and what we've got to quit doing and how we got to be dressing. No, do you realize that the king of the universe, the glorious creator, has invited you to walk with him? I'm so imperfect, pastor. I'm so imperfect. Follow me. My life is a mess. I'm torn in a million pieces. Follow me. Come after me. Come on. Come after me. Follow me. Follow me. Walk with me. Do you realize the weight of that invitation today? Follow me. Follow me. Follow me. It doesn't matter what you have to forsake because when you follow him, he's going to take care of you. Anybody here believe that any of his disciples ever had to starve? Because he took care of them. Do you know what I read? read something very interesting this is so powerful in the book of John scripture tells us that Jesus had been resurrected and he came and he appeared unto his disciples again Brother Snow. 
And Peter said, I go a fishing. Right? Three years ago, he asked him to abandon all of that. Walk away from it. Now he's resurrected. They can't follow him long because he said, I'm leaving. I'm getting out of here. So their lives have to find some kind of normalcy. And isn't it amazing that old Zebedee still had a boat? There were still nets. And they still had the ability to go back to fishing. You know what that means? He didn't want their boat. He didn't need their boat. He didn't want their nets. He didn't need their nets. The truth is that you will never lay down anything for him that he doesn't make up for you in the end. He said, if you'll come after me and follow me, I'll take care of the boat, I'll take care of the nets, and I'll take care of Zebedee. But I want you to follow me. Peter said, I go a-fishing, but it's different now because now that I'm going fishing, I'm not just fishing for fish. I'm fishing for men. And somebody needs to know that the Messiah wants you to follow him. Let's stand this morning. Can you imagine? I've wondered so many times. I've done everything I could to figure out a way. I would love to just hear him speak. I'd love to hear him speak. I found this, this video on YouTube. And on this video, it's, it's a small village in Turkey. It's one of the last surviving villages in the world that speak Aramaic. Which was a language more than likely Jesus spoke frequently. And they have, uh, they have a section on there that if you, if you listen to it, they're teaching little kids in the school what, what they call the Lord's Prayer. You know, Jesus said when you pray after this manner. But they're praying it in Aramaic. And I listened to it over and over and over, not because necessarily I was interested in the school or the village or that I wanted to go have Turkish tea with them. But it was the fact that I've always wondered what it would have sounded like not just the language that he spoke, but to hear him say, follow me. What did that voice sound like? Follow, follow me. Could you imagine? Follow me. You know when he said it, chills went up and down their body. Follow me. They felt that sign like there's something more to this. But I want to tell you something. I don't, I'll never hear in this life in this earth I'll never hear the voice of the Messiah from his vocal cords the way that they heard it but there are people in this room right now that are hearing that same still small voice you're in this room right now and you're, you're not hearing it audibly but you feel that sign in your body that calm spirit that rests on you as we all close our eyes right now you hear that voice through the preaching of the word today that says, follow me. These altars are open today, and I would invite anyone that will, whosoever will. I'm a, no, I'm a nobody, Pastor. I don't, I, don't have, I don't have the pedigree. Like I don't. Follow him. Come after him today. The making of a disciple is not about the prosperity that you'll gain when you follow him. It's really not about prosperity at all. 
This is what I found to be a fact. Modern theology calls you to follow Jesus so that you can live a better life right now. But when Jesus called his disciples, he taught them to forsake what made them rich now to prepare for eternity then. The call to be a disciple today is not for your success in this life alone, but for success beyond this life. There is a voice that's calling from eternity today saying, prepare your hearts for eternity. And I want to tell you, if you have never repented of your sins, you have never felt such a refreshing feeling in all the world, then to just open your heart up to a God who already knows everything about you and say, Lord, I know this is where I am. And I know this is who I am. But today I want to follow after you. If you've never repented of your sins, I want to invite you to do that today. Because once you've repented of your sins, I'd love to baptize you in the name of Jesus Christ so all those sins can be washed away. And let him fill you with the sweet Holy Ghost. You're in a room full of people today that have been filled with the Holy Ghost. and They know just how good it is. It gets sweeter as the days go by. But I'm just asking if there's anybody here today that will heed the call. Follow me. Are you here today?